Welcome to the like, Destiny Podcast. Okie dokie. I am really excited about today's topic because it's one of my favorite ones. Um, I want to continue on the whole thing with um, money. But again, everything in the kingdom is connected. So honestly, if that's why it doesn't matter what God is doing in you right now. Because it'll all feed into everything else. When I was when I was doing the school, I got so frustrated with Jesus because I was about three weeks behind the teaching with what God was doing inside of me. Yeah? So there's you know, they were talking about, I don't know, something, how to preach a good sermon or freedom or healthy boundaries, and I was still stuck on Father Hearts. Like I think, ah, oh. it's like can't why? Because and then I felt frustrated because just felt like I'm missing out on the ministry sessions that are happening right now because I can't really connect with that because I'm still working things through back there. And then and then once I got to that place, everybody moved on to I don't know something else. I was like ah, but or some something different where I just I woke up in the morning is like I know exactly what kind of issues I have, I know exactly what Jesus needs to fix. And he's working somewhere over there. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, honestly, I, I have the revelation from the Holy Spirit that this is an issue. Why are you working over there? Like, and then, and so I'm just trying to get Jesus. <laughs> come, this is like a kid that, you know, with ADD. Come on, come on, Jesus. Come back over here. Come on, come on. Work on this one. And he's just busy doing stuff over there. I'm like, for goodness sake. Like, I can tell you, I can, if we would just fix this thing, Everything else would just work together. And somehow, once that one over there was fixed, that one was never an issue again. How does, he, how does he do that? So, you guys wake up with all sorts of things in your mind. You're working things through in your head. Holy Spirit might even reveal some issues to you. That is like, don't worry, we're going to have this. Allow him to work wherever he wants to work. Because it's all going to work. Honestly, it will work together. Your anxiety about your future, and he just tells you to, you just need to lo- know that you've got a good dad. It's like, yeah, but, but what about this? It's like, once this one is sorted, that one will all fall in place. So, enjoy the journey that you're on. Don't get frustrated. Don't, don't switch off just because this is not what you're working on right now. Because Holy Spirit might be like, yeah, but... This one is connected to that one over there. You never saw the connection. You might never even see the connection. But it's there. It's um, Alan, I mean, he's, I don't know if he told you some of the cool healing stories. I, I'm going to butcher the story, so I won't even attempt. Ask him to tell you the story again. But remember him praying for a blind person and had something completely different that just like i don't know he was he was commanding the lymph nodes or something like that to work again and then she could see and alan's like this is what and then so he went to irvin he's like irvin is there any connection nope right i just felt whole i could see a person came to me because that person needs healing in their eyes and i felt holy spirit say pray for the lymph nodes this is the why? So I'm not. I'm just saying. 
Enjoy what Holy Spirit is doing today with you right there and trust that as clever as you are, he sees a little bit further down the road. His bigger picture is slightly bigger than ours. And I love this. Like I'm, yeah, enjoy. Here's to Jesus. Because then you don't stress about things that you think are urgent and important. Because it's not that he forgot. You know, it's not that he didn't check his to-do list today. Um, and it's not that he's, I don't know, he's busy with somebody else. You know, Todd Bentley. By the way, follow him. I love what he does at the moment. Like, seriously, some amazing revival on the streets. And it's not a big thing. It's not tent meetings and it's not media or anything else. But people are getting set free. And this is the kingdom. Like, this is, this is right there, you know. 30 people. It's like, yes, revival. This is it? Seriously? Because if we think revival has has to look like Awaken Europe or, you know, Zusa Now or something like this, you know, for the normal Joes, you and me, what chance is there? We'll never fill a stadium. You know what I mean? It's like, but revival's inside of us. So let's not disqualify ourselves. Where was I going with Todd? I don't know. Enjoy Okay, so here comes my teaching for today. It's on money. But exactly, make it rain. I want to talk about this, this thing that if you've grown up in church, you've definitely have heard about it. You may even have heard some teachings about it. Um, and it's this thing called tithing. Yeah, it's the 10%. Now, there's um, <clears throat> Now, there's a couple of different views on tithing, and I'm just going to give them to you first without, without even saying this is great, this is bad. This is just, these are the ones that are out there, okay? <clears throat> you probably have one already yourself. So, tithing um, through obligation is, is one of the things. Tithing is a mandatory biblical practical practice taught both in the Old and the New Testament. The practice of tithing is validated by several examples before the law of Moses, by the law of Moses, and then sometimes through examples of Christ himself. Paying tithe is not an expression of law keeping because it's revealed before the law as a universal principle. All right? You still following me so far? It's like marriage. Yeah? It's not... Marriage is not keeping the law. Marriage was there before the law was given. So, The fact that the New Testament um, is nearly silent on tithing proves that it's a carryover, universal truth. It doesn't need any more explanation or validating. Like marriage again. It's like the principles of giving first fruits to God is a carryover principle in the New Testament and then validating tithing. So Old Testament was all about first fruits, you know, bring your barley, bring your chickens bring your grapes the new testament bring your tithing when we pay our tithe to the church we're actually paying tithe to our high priest jesus christ the tithe is to be used to support ministers in the church just as the tithe was used to support the levites and priests in the old testament okay beyond paying tithe we're expected by god to give offerings for other matters like support romania support bulgaria here some poor um, here's some orphans, all of that. 
when we fulfill our obligations to, I'm not, I'm not taking the piss, this is just, I'm just trying to explain it. <clears throat> when we fulfill our obligations to pay the tithe and give offerings and alms, we can expect financial blessings as well as other blessings from God. When we fail to fulfill this obligation, we come under a curse and will see financial difficulties as a minimum. The church cannot fulfill its missions on the earth without its members paying faithfully the tithe. And there are many believers who have become prosperous as a result of tithing. Yeah? That become wealthy. They are well off. All right? So this is the... There really is an obligation. This is something... Um, I heard... I heard a, a teacher that I respect very much. He said, you know, it's like... Paying tithe is like paying rent. For just renting this planet of God. And you don't want him to evict you. So I'll leave it at that. All right. The freedom in giving teaching. So the first one was the obligation in tithing. You are a Christian. And this is just, just this is your duty paying it back to God. Um, the freedom in teaching, freedom in giving is... Is this one. The practice of the ongoing tithing and income is a serious distortion of an old practice, Old Testament practice of the law of Moses. There is no obligation to pay a tithe. Tithing in any form was never valid for any New Testament Christians. Those who teach tithing ignore much of what the Old Testament actually reveals and commands concerning tithing. Um, there were many individuals in ancient Israel who earned their living not producing fruit, fruit and therefore did not tithe. And all that was commanded in the, um, in the Old Testament. Jesus would have not paid tithe since he was a carpenter. Neither would have Paul or Peter. Um, spiritualizing one fruit tithe to support ongoing monetary tithing is a distortion of the Old Testament. Spiritualized version of Old Testament of tithing in Malachi 3 places the believer under a curse of the law. Ministers of the Gospels are not Levitical priests. They're not commanded to receive tithe. They move work occupations in order to support themselves. Um, continually giving 10% um, of your income is completely arbitrary and a non-biblical foundation. And so on and so on. And then, so basically it just says, forget everything that you've ever heard about the tithing kind of thing. It's just not true. It's, it's over-spiritualized. Don't, don't go near there. So that's that one. And then there's number three. It's tithing as a standard teaching. So Christian tithing is done from the heart by faith. Tithing is not really a legal requirement, but a voluntary act of faithfulness. The law of Moses was binding for Jews under the law, but it serves as a guideline for Christian believers. Like, uh, you know, don't murder. Still not a bad thing to adhere to, yeah? So just, just because, oh, we're not under the law doesn't mean get to stab people today. Tithing is a carryover principle of giving first fruits to God. While there is no actual requirement, belie believers living under grace should give more than those who are under the law. Any ongoing giving less than a tithe is inadequate and will not please and appropriate the blessing from God. So God, God won't be all too happy and he probably won't give you a blessing. Tithing is a kind of a minimum level giving. So start with 10% and then you can work your way up to 15 or 20. Yeah? And on top of that, 
God is really asking you to just don't forget the poor, the widows, all of that. So keep that in mind. Okay? It all boils down, whatever you, whatever interpretation you have to that one sentence, everyone should give 10% of their income. Yeah? That's however you want to interpret that. This is what it all boils down to. And uh, that is the only sentence that we're going to take apart today. Yeah, Everyone, really, should really give 10%, really, of their income? Really? Yeah, so it's just like, that's what we're going to do. All right. Um, do you have any sort of beliefs and deep convictions about tithing? Or is it like, yeah, this is what the church always done, and that kind of went along. It's like sex before marriage. Nobody really knows why. You know, still looking for scriptures that says don't do it, or this is great. It's like, oh. uh, but the church kind of, you know, we believe something, and we're being told something, but nobody really explains to you actually why. So do you have a conviction about tithing? Freeing. Yeah. <clears throat> so I do believe Okay. Is it just something that you've put away, but you're not really sure what you have grabbed onto instead, or are you quite clear? I, I don't believe this anymore, but I really do know what I'm believing here. Okay. Yeah. All right. Nicola. Do you have any deep convictions about that sentence? Everyone should give 10% of their income. It's like, yeah, kind of grew up in this. This is what I believe. That there's, okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Wow. <clears throat> we gonna that's why we have the whole morning. We're gonna literally look at everything that the Bible says before the law about that thing of tithing 
what the and then it gets really interesting what the law actually says what is tithing what is it actually for um how often are we going to collect it who is going to give what and then in the new covenant like what exactly is jesus saying about all this and let's keep going right so there's exactly two incidences before the law of moses was given where people gave 10 percent and uh and we're going to start with the second one first, and then I'm going to do the first one second, just because this is it. The one is um, Jacob. So he's, um, he's just having a nap at um, this place. He, he forgot his pillow, so he uses a stone. He has this dream. He sees a ladder, angels ascending, descending. He's like, whoa. He wakes up. He's like, Pfft. This surely is Beth El. This is the house of God. And I, I, I don't know how I didn't notice, but wow. Yeah, so he's, he's all of this. Um, so now the reason why he's there, because he, he just, he lived up to his name. And his name was Surpasser, is Trickster. Yeah, that's Jacob, the deceiver. Um, so that's exactly what he did. He tricked his brother. First, he tricked his brother out of the inheritance, yeah, with a bowl of soup. Um, it's, it wasn't really a trick. I mean, his brother was just, ah, oh, he just did not value his. This is a perfect example of people wanting immediate or temporary pleasure without having the bigger picture. So his, it, was, it was a fair trade. His brother was hungry and Jacob had some soup. He's like, I'll give you the soup. If you give me the inheritance, I was like, all right. Because the inheritance doesn't mean anything to me today, but the soup looks mighty good. Please don't ever do that. That's, honestly, that's when you make some really dumb decisions if you, if you lose sight of eternity. So, so Esau did that. But then Jacob deceived his dad with his mom's help. I mean, this is a messed up family a bit, yeah? Um, deceived both his brother and his dad um, to get the blessing. And that's like, that's not, if that would happen to us today, you know, Jacob blessed, no, sorry, Isaac blessed Jacob, thinking that his, it's his firstborn, and he just speaks the blessing of God over it. And then later on, Esau comes, and Jacob is, is running off, and, and Isaac realizes, oh no, I blessed the wrong kid. Yeah, And so Esau begs his dad, he's like, Please give me the blessing. You and I would be like, no problem, son. I'll just bless you again because it doesn't come from me anyway. It's all from Jesus kind of thing. But there is something about Isaac said, ah, I can't give you that blessing because that's already on somebody else. I, I don't know what you do with that theology. Yeah? Like, I, can, I can bless you because I love you. But the firstborn blessing, the one was just favor and multiplication and just, Ooh, that, sorry, that, that's kind of on your brother. And so, so Esau is just not happy at the very best. He's out there to kill his brother, literally. So his mom is telling him to um, run away. So that's what, that's what Jacob does. So he's running away. Again, why did they think it was a good idea? I have no idea. But it's just like the people really live up to their own expectation of who they are. I will always be a deadbeat. I will always, and it doesn't matter what I do, 
I'll always fail. Doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how hard I try, I'll never be recognized or I always will disappoint myself and other people. You will. I've seen so many people that sabotage their own lives just to feed that false belief inside of them. You know, and we are right back to Sozo. Just if you have something like this, that self-destructive thing inside of you, ah, you need to break it. It's just like what we did just praying over you and then just having that truth come in. Because that's what Jacob did. It's like, I will always be a deceiver. Here's another opportunity. And guess what his life looked like? Because it wasn't just him deceiving other people. It was him being deceived to a whole nother level. This guy worked seven years for a woman. Then on the wedding night, I have no idea what happened. Because honestly, I could... I did not... <laughs> he slept with the wrong girl. Yeah? Is, oh, I accidentally slept with you. This is like, this is, this is what happened. He woke up the next morning with the wrong woman in his bed. He's like, what just happened? I would not be happy. Ruth has a sister. If that would have happened to me. Whoa. Yeah. That, you're laughing. He did not laugh that day. He was, he must have, he must have been so drunk. I have no idea. And just like, and. Anyway, we'll just leave it at that. It's like, how can you sleep with the wrong woman? The woman that you worked for seven years. It's, however dark it is, it doesn't matter. You'll recognize her. Just, yeah. So this is, but he has, he has walked in this deception constantly. So he's, he's, he's reaping exactly that as well. And then he just gets really angry and Laban, his father-in-law, is like, all right, you know, sorry, that one's on me, but I just couldn't really marry the younger off before the older one wasn't, so, uh, uh, sorry. But I'll make you a deal. Work another seven years for me, and I'll give you the younger one for free. <laughs> so Jacob is doing it. But in that process, now he's deceiving his father-in-law again, and he's stealing sheep from him. This is a cool story, just again about not going into it too much. But whenever they were mating, just it's the stuff that they looked at, um, the different pieces of wood, just decided whether the sheep were going to get be one just one color white or speckled, and then Jacob did that. It's like had a deal with his father-in-law. It's like you get the white ones, I'll take the speckled ones. So whenever they were mating, he was putting this wood, this bush in front of them, and then they had speckled lambs. I have no idea how that works biologically, but. That's what it says. He was constantly wor working in this deception. Deception, deception, deception. Yeah? So, so we, we've got... And then, and then later on, you know the story. He's, he's, he's about to meet his brother again after those 14 years. Oh, first of all, his, now his, his wife, she steals his father-in-law's um, idol. Yeah? And she hides it. She's on her camel. And she hides it. And then Laban... So Isaac... Uh, so Jacob is then leaving, finally Laban after 14 years um, with all his speckled sheep, yeah? His two wives, his kids. Now the wives, they were sisters, but there was just a lot of animosity there. So they gave their maidservants to Jacob as well. So he slept with four, four women and had, had children from all sorts of different... Just, you know, you're talking about, dude, just... Come clean for once in your life. Just going to be a lot less messy. 
And that's honestly, when you start in this process of deception, you have to tell bigger lies or make up grander stories or protect yourself a bit more because it just gets more. The truth is much easier to remember. Full stop. So I'm going to stick with that one for now. So here, here they're leaving um, Laban. And then Laban realizes, they stole from me. They stole my family God. Now, you know, you stole my sheep. I've got some suspicions there, but I can't prove it. But you left and my idol left as well. So I'm going to chase you down. So Laban comes. How could you do this, Jacob? And Jacob's like, oh, I didn't do nothing. It was his, it was his second wife. The, his youngest, Laban's youngest daughter, that stole it. She sat on the camel. She was hiding it somewhere underneath her clothes. And Laban said, come, get down. And she's like, ah, you know, um, I'm on my period. He's like, all right, I'll leave you up there. Um, <laughs> amazing. St- I love reading the Bible because you read like, this is like a soap opera. This is, this is incredible stuff that these guys came up with, right? So, so Jacob is all self-righteous. See, I didn't do nothing. Um, and then he meets his brother. And the day before, oh, and this is it. He's so worried about meeting his brother. I'm going to set my kids in front of me. I'm going to set my wives in front of me. <laughs> if he's going to kill somebody, maybe kill them. he's going to kill them first. So by the time he reaches me, I don't know, his bloodlust might be just a bit subsided. What? So sending everything, his oxen, his sheep, everything. And then he's all by himself. And the angel of the Lord comes and he wrestles with him. And he wrestles and he wrestles. And again, the angel of the Lord is mighty strong. I don't know why God was happy playing weak with him. But it was, this is what I do with my kids. You know exactly how far you can push it. And I'm not letting you go. I'm not squashing you. I'm not hurting you. But I'm also letting you know that you can put all your effort into this. But we're not moving from here. So Jacob is right there and he's not giving up. He's just hanging in there and he's wrestling, he's wrestling until the angel of the Lord just touched his hip and he was limping from that day onwards. But he said this, I'm not letting go unless you bless me. He just realized that there's something, you know, I've just, now I'm actually meeting my creator. And for so long, I lived under this wrong identity of deception and and lies and backstabbing and i'm just tired of it and he's just he's literally wrestling for his future right there don't think you realize it and that's when god gives him a new name he gives him the name that from now on you're going to be called prince of god israel this is incredible a whole nation now is called Prince of God. You know, you're talking about stepping into royalty. Welcome to the family. This is it. And so, so then next day he meets his brother and reconciliation. It's all happening and it's just great. So this is the story of Jacob in five minutes. But he's just, he just deceived his father and his brother and he's running. He had a nap. He wakes up and is like, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. Um, this is in Genesis 28, because we're, we're, remember we're talking about money here. Then Jacob made a vow saying, listen to this, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear 
and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. All right? So Jacob is promising. He's like, I'll give you 10% of everything that you gave me. But, but what do we, how do we approach tithing? You need to give first in order to get blessed by God, don't you? That's what tithing is. And Jacob here is saying, I'm not even sure whether I believe in you, God. Yeah? If God will be with me and will keep me and all of this, then the Lord will be my God. It's like, whoa, God, you're on trial. Yeah? For the next couple of years, I don't know. If you are, if you are going to bless me, if you are going to keep me safe, if you are going to provide for me, then I'll believe in you. Because we are like, oh, no, no, you need to believe first, and then you can expect some nice things from God. And Jacob was like, Pfft. and God is up for the deal. Isn't that cool? And then, and then Jacob says, and if you give me all these things, then I'll believe in you, and I'll give you 10% back. And God's like, oh, this is a good deal. I'll take it. Isn't that crazy? Because for us, it's the other way around. Oh, you got to believe, and you better give, and then you can expect a blessing from God. This is the, exactly the other way. This is not. So if we want to say, oh, yeah, see, but before the law of Moses, there was already tithing. If you want to tithe like this, that means you don't give anything for all your life. And at the end of it, you look back and say, all right, I decide whether I want to be a Christian or not. And then out of what I have now in my bank account, then I'll give you a one-off gift of 10% God. Yeah, that's what, that's what Jacob did. Not a monthly See how many sheep I have. Here's another. Yeah. So this is, this is not how we do tithing today. Just. Okie dokie. Is that, is that settled? Great. Now comes the first tithe. And that's Abraham. And that's a really cool one. Because you know, Genesis talks about it. But then Hebrews talks about it as well. Because we've got... Um, this amazing guy called Melchizedek showing up. And uh, I believe he was Jesus. It wasn't just a type of Jesus, I really believe. Jesus showed up a couple times in the Old Testament. He really did. Some things are a type of Jesus. Um, some things are like symbols. You know, just like what Rebecca talked about the, the, the bronze and snake, for example. That's like a type of what Jesus is going to do. But when when... When Joshua, before he went over to, um, to go to Jericho, when he met this person that stood there, and he's just like, and he saw this person with a drawn sword, and Joshua asked this one question, are you for me or against me? Friend or foe? That's, it's a good question. If somebody's there with a pulled gun, you're like, are you going to kill me or protect me? Which one is it? Do I have to run or embrace you? Fair question. Um, and then the guy said, neither. I am the commander of the armies of the Lord, and I have come. And then what happens next? Joshua falls down and he worships. If it was an angel, the angel would have not allowed Joshua to worship him. I really believe this is Jesus. He's like, dude, the question is not, is Jesus on my side? Because that's, if you watch the American politics at the moment, this is the issue. Everybody claims God is on my side, yeah? 
God is for Trump. God is for Hillary. God is for this. God is for that. It's like, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. The question is, are you on my side? That is always going to be, I love this. He's just, ah. Yeah? Because, I mean, if he, was, if he was just on my side, and you and I, we pray a conflicting prayer to him, which one is he going to choose? Yeah? So I love this. He's like, you're asking the wrong question. So here's Jesus in the Old Testament. Yeah, Really, I believe that second person of the Trinity manifests showing up. Not just, ooh, that could have been. And it's like, no. So, um, so let's read the story. This is Genesis 14. I love this. Because um, I need to, I oh, just want to read this whole thing. This is great. Because Abraham wasn't just, we think of Abraham as this old guy, don't we? It's like, ah, oh, you know. I'm 80 years old, I'm 90 years old, I'm 100 years old. It's like this old guy that just gets older and older and older and eventually has a son. And then we don't know anything much of him. It just dies. Oh, look at that. Zara just is, keep, keeps on marking my Bible. This is important. It talks about personal injuries in Exodus 21. <laughs> She's just letting me know, Dad, if you do anything, I'll sue you. <laughs> Where are we? Genesis 14. So Abraham is this incredible guy that gives his nephew Lot the choice. And Lot, he should have he should have declined first and foremost. But again, he's just like Abraham, you're the older one. This is, you get to choose first. But Lot chose what looked good to the eyes. And just, and, ah. And so often we're like, we're so blinded by what we want. And it's like, oh, it's going to work out. God's going to bless me. Oh, what a sign. Yeah? You see a sign in everything once you put your heart onto something. And Lot's chosen to be, to live in this place that is just, immoral to the nth degree and uh and he's suffering through all of this to the point where he's gonna lose his wife to it his two daughters get him drunk at the end and end up sleeping with their own dad they yeah but it looks good yeah there's there's gonna be enough grass for my oxen and all of this so he's right there so he chooses that now there's kings that because each back then it wasn't massive countries; it was more cities. Each city had has their own king, and they were just charging with their armies. Um, it's like Sparta with their three hundred. That's kind of that was it. <clears throat> so here's the the king. So Abraham is somewhere else. He's hanging out, having some fun with his people. Um, and then he hears um, of this of these five kings that have come and invaded Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, have taken everybody captive. And that doesn't really matter to Abraham. Except they've taken his nephew. Yeah. So Abraham's like, ooh, don't want that. So this is starting at, at verse 13. Then a fugitive came. So one guy escaped. And told Abraham, the Hebrew. And he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorites. Brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner. And these were allies with Abraham. I love it. This is like they've got all these names. It's not just, hey, Bob and Joe's like, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men born in his house 
318. Those are the original 300, yeah? So these are not just people that work for him. Do you understand how big Abraham's stuff was? He had 318 people that were born into his household, yeah? That these, this is an army, that, and these are the trained men, yeah? These are not the untrained people. This is not the children and the wives. Just imagine how much stuff he has, how many tents they are for 318 trained men plus all everything else. Yeah. Um, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. So Abraham is a warrior. He's like a king. Um, he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So all the way into Turkey he went. Isn't that cool? He brought back all the goods and brought back his relative lot with his possession, also the women and the people. Yeah? So he brings everything back. Nobody's killed. This is incredible. So he killed all the bad guys. But the people that they stole, they're all still safe. And all the cattle and everything. And this is it. Then after his return from the defeat of the Chedorlaomer, this is crazy, and the kings who went with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavuz. That is the king of the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Okay? So now this is, this is really important the king of sodom comes out to meet abraham because abraham he brings back everything that was stolen from the king of sodom yeah but then there's also another person comes out melchizedek he's the king of salem yeah and melchizedek king of salem brought out bread and wine now he was a priest of god most high he blessed him and said blessed be abraham of god most high possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear. You would say I have made Abram rich. Isn't that crazy? So this is this is the story. Abram comes back with everything. He gets blessed by king of Salem. We're going to go into that a bit more. And then king of Sodom says, this is incredible. You can keep all the ox, all the sheep. Just give me back the people. And Abram's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You will get everything back. Lest anyone would say, lest anyone take away from the glory of God. Lest anyone say, oh, Abram, yeah, he's rich. But he's only rich because he comes from money. Yeah. Oh, he's only rich because he had my stuff to start with. And he says, I don't want that. So King Salem means peace. Yeah. So he is the king of Salem, who is the priest of the Most High, which is like, who is the prince of peace? Who is our high priest? This is Jesus. And he comes out and he does what? Breaks bread with him and wine. What is happening right now? This is Jesus saying, what is communion all about? Communion is about um, the enacting of a covenant. So there's, there's, there's Jesus. And Hebrews later on goes into this, this Melchizedek guy. This is crazy because we don't know. He has no beginning. He has no end. We don't know where he came from. Don't know where he goes. Cut my Joe. You know, all of that. Um, it's, it, this is crazy. So here he comes out. 
And Abraham, well, he's still Abram back then, he gives him 10%. All right? And what does he do with the rest? Not a trick question, just told you before. Gives it all back to the king of Sodom, okay? So at the beginning of the day, how much stuff did Abraham have that he went out with his... He, he took his 318 men, but, but he didn't take any gold with him, okay? He didn't take any extra sheep or something. Because it's like, this is going to be a day's job. Yeah, I don't need to take much lunch with me. So that, let's say, for argument's sake, he's taken nothing with him, okay? Except himself and the people. He goes and pursues and does a day's work. He comes back with all those riches. From his day's work, he gives 10% to Jesus, Melchizedek. And then he gives 90% back to the guy that it belonged to. So at the end of the day, how much did Abraham have again? Exactly the same. All right? This hasn't happened on an ongoing basis. This is a one-off as well. Now, did Abraham give any of his own stuff to Melchizedek? Yeah? So if you want to take this, oh, but this is tithing before the law. Actually, what I'm suggesting to you is you need to go to work, work your eight hours. From that, you need to give 10% to Jesus and then give 90% back to the one who gave you, who owned that all, which is your, um, your employer. This is exactly what Ab- Abraham was not better off at all at the end of that day. He did not give off any of his stuff. He didn't, he, Abraham didn't say, ah, you know what? I really give everything over there. Take, Jesus, take some of my 10%. No. He's like, this is it. The king of Salem comes out. I'll give you 10%. And the rest goes back to whoever it belonged to. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, still following me? So we've got Jacob who says, I don't even know whether I believe in you. And God, you got you to gotta bless me first. And for years and years and years and years, I'm not going to give you anything. And when I come back to this place and I come back rich... And alive, you'll be my God and you'll get 10%. And God's like, I'll, I'll take that deal. Then Abram, who's not giving God anything that day, he just goes out, he defeats some people, brings all that stuff back that isn't his, gives 10% of what isn't his to Melchizedek and gives the 90% back to who he belonged to. And then he goes home and has his own little barbecue with his own sheep. Yeah, but is that okay? Perfect. Just wondering. Shall we have um, a five-minute break? Just a really short one. Because um, this, this has been those... There, there really is only two scriptures that talk about anything to do with money in terms of giving that 10% before the law. Um, and, and the thing is, there, there really is some principles that are happening. They are just universal principles, like marriage, for example which is just, it's, it's been established before, it's been affirmed throughout, and it's been affirmed past the cross as well. It's just, it's, it's all there. It's not just, oh, this is just an, an old covenant kind of thing and we are free from the law, so who cares? We're not Mormons, yeah? This is just, but, but the tithing here, if somebody says, oh, yeah, but it was before the law, it's like, actually... It wasn't, yes, it happened twice, but it wasn't anything like what we are practicing today. 
Okie dokie. Now, let's do tithing, first fruits, and the law of Moses, okay? So, <clears throat> here comes the mind blower. Tithing under the old covenants was not 10%. It was more like 23%. And I'll explain to you why. Um, and it wasn't actually not money. It was of the produce. Um, <clears throat> so it's so much more than the 10%. And when we read about, there's you know, different things in Leviticus about tithing and stuff. And then we're like, oh yeah, see, there it is. Because it always talks about a tenth. But it's actually different tithes that were collected at different stages. And we're going to go through, those are three different ones. We're going to go through those three. Um, and then there was always the first fruit that, that God was saying, actually, the, the first thing, this is holy. It's not just a, um, it doesn't matter what 10% you give me. It's the whole thing about the very first thing, the first thing that, the first potato that you dig out, the first lamb that gets born, the first bunch of grapes that you pick. This is, it's that, it's that realization, wow, I'm going to honor him with the very first thing. It's, it is looking to him for everything and then knowing that because we like giving at the very end once all the bills are paid, yeah? And, and it really just addressed the issue of, are you trusting me that by giving me the very first thing, without knowing how much else there will be, that's a scary bit, that there will be actually enough if you, if you honor God first. Right. <clears throat> so that tithe is probably the most famous tithe, and we know all about that, and that's the Levitical tithe, okay? It's in Numbers 18. And it says, for the tithes of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Same chapter, Numbers 18, 21, it says, to the sons of Levi, behold, I've given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. Okay? So there was, there was 12 tribes... Um, but one tribe was actually split in two, yeah? There was, well, there was 12 children, 12 sons, and they all received a portion of the land when God brought them into the, um, the promised land. But Joseph, actually, he, he did not receive a portion, but both his sons received as much of a portion as his brothers, yeah? So, so Joseph, basically, he got the double portion. But the Levites, they did not get any land. Why? Because God says, you guys are going to be working in my tent, and you're going to perform the service, all the sacrifices and all of this, and all of Israel is going to bring in their, their 10%. And actually, because you're going to read this, this, they had a constant barbecue going on. Seriously. And they were going to boil things. They were going to cook things. They are going to bake things. And all this is to the Lord. But practically, God's like, I'm not really hungry. Yeah? This has never been about I'm actually hungry. This has been about your heart. But there's a very practical tribe of the Levites that will feed from that stuff. And this is incredible. It's like, you guys, you will feast on all this stuff here. 
And then, if you can't eat anymore, take it outside of the camp and burn it. This is incredible. Yeah? So God's saying there's 11 tribes that will give. So each of these 11 tribes will have at the end of it 90%. Yeah, Because they just gave 10%. Does it make sense? The Levites will have 110%. Isn't that cool? So the ones that don't have any land, they don't have any cattle or any sheep or anything like this, they end up with way more than their brothers. I love it. It's just like God. Okay? So the Levites, they weren't allowed to own property. God didn't give them a portion of the land as inheritance, but he gave them the tithe as an inheritance. Yeah, this is Leviticus 23. Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy. For every tenth part of herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. Okay? I'll read it again. Because this defines what actually is the tithe. Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. For every tenth part of their herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. So who gave tithe? Farmers. Yeah? Everything that was, everything that grew and everything that was born, that was a tithe. Okay? There was not, nowhere is it required for somebody that works with their hands and produces stuff with their hands to tithe out of that. And you say, oh yeah, but back then everybody was a farmer. It's not true. There were, there were craftsmen there already. There were, there were carpenters already. There was all that stuff. And God says, actually, I don't care about this because this is stuff that you have done. The tithing comes where it's without sun given by God, without rain given by God, without the proper season or the provision for my flock. None of this would be here. So because of that, I will honor God. Was Jesus a shepherd? Well, he was the big shepherd, but forget that one, yeah? Was No. What was he? Come on. Yeah. He was a carpenter. Would he have tithed? Oh, mind blown. Jesus, why are you not tithing? It wasn't required. Under the, honestly, under the law, it was not required for, for people to tithe anything but the produce of the ground or whatever passes under the rod. Yeah, whatever is livestock. This is crazy. Now, this is something else as well. When was the law of Moses given? At the beginning or at the end of the 40 years in the desert? Not a trick question. At the beginning. Okay? When was the tithe required? Only when they went into the promised land. You mean Israel? Wonderful 40 years through the desert, without tithing. And it says that none of them were sick. 
Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. There was blessing on them. This is the exact opposite of we are being taught with, with tithing. I love it. This is, you don't believe me? Leviticus 23, it says, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, Whenever you enter the land which I am going to give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruit and your harvest to the priest. Isn't that cool? God still provided the manna every day. Yeah? Their, their sheep, their flock, their everything. Don't know what they ate in the desert. Maybe some manna as well. Wasn't, wasn't anything else there. Nobody's ever asked that question. It's like, what, what did they do? doesn't matter. They, none, none of this was required until they entered into the promised land where they were starting to, to have their own fields. This is crazy. And, uh, and eventually, um, I think it's in... in Isaiah, where it says, and the priests have gone back to their fields. And this is just a weird thing. And they had to labor because Israel neglected to give the tithe. So, so eventually in, in Israel's history, because it was an obligation, yeah? There was always, it was a paying the tithe. That just, because of the corruption of that sinful heart, that old creation, eventually it falls, it falls away. And Israel stopped looking after their own. And the priests, because they were hungry, had to go. I don't know how they got fields. I don't know how they got sheep. But eventually they had some. And they were starting to farm as well. Because Israel was actually not providing for their brothers. Yeah? But whenever there was a free will offering, guys, no requirements, no obligation. Do whatever is on your heart. This is it. Because remember, they all came out of Egypt and they robbed Egypt blind. This is, Egypt was bankrupt economically, military, militarily, everything was, that when Israel left, literally they went to the neighbors, there was such favor on them for that one night, the slaves went to everybody else and said, give me your earrings, give me your gold, give me, they're like, ah, oh, just take it, just leave us. Yeah, they're so fed up. So Israel just robs Egypt blind. They go out with the treasures of Egypt. This is not just, oh, Egypt like today. This was Egypt. This is like, I don't know. This is the Dubai of, of today. This is the richest country in that, in that time. They rob them blind. And then they, they, they go out and, and the whole military gets destroyed as well, including the king. So the, Egypt is just, devastated after Israel left. Amazing. Anyway, so Israel has all of Egypt's wealth. Yeah, so they are rich. They're no longer, oh, we're poor slaves with, you know, I don't know, one piece of clothing. It's like, I'm loaded. It's like, I just, really. Now, before the temple was built, they had the tent of meeting, which was exactly, served exactly the same purpose, but was just, well, transportable because they were just moving about. So God put, gave Moses the blueprint. And then Moses, this is it. Um, he, he sends out a mass text to everybody. He's like, guys, we're about to build the tent. 
if anybody wants to give, contribute to God, to this thing, feel free to give. All right? So this is what it says. Exodus 35. The Israelites, all the men and women whose heart were moved to bring material for the work which the Lord has commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. So it doesn't say that everybody brought one, but lots of people were moved. It's that in 2 Corinthians later on, it says, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. Just, there's joy attached to it. There's just like, oh, this is going to, as long, I want, I'm going to finish with this, but as long as you give under obligation, you'll always be a little bit disgruntled. It's like, ah, oh, no, 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 I have to give again. Oh, you know, why is Andy always asking for some more money? Doesn't he know that I don't have any? It's like, don't give if you have that attitude. There's always joy. God moved their hearts and they gave a free will offering. And this is it. And I have not ever experienced this in a church setting. Because in the very next chapter, yeah, so everybody brings, it's like, oh, I've got some earrings from the old Egyptians. I've got some of these really nice clothes. Maybe we can sew them into a curtain or something. Oh, I've just got crazy amount of gold and silver and who don't know what to do with this here moses have it all for the tent and then and then moses his interns come to him and they said to moses the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the lord commanded us to perform so moses issued a command and proclaimed and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary Thus, the people were restrained from bringing any more. For the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. When, bless you, when did you ever hear a pastor say, guys, stop giving us money. We don't know what to do with it all. We've given it all away to the orphans already. We build a new house like all the pastors are driving Mercedes by now. We don't know what to do with it. Stop giving us money. This is it. Because there was no obligation. There was no, you have to do this. As long as there was obligation or you have to do this eventually because your heart's not in it, bless you, you'll stop it. But then when there is just a, a genuine, this is what God's doing inside of me. I'm excited about it. Woo! Nobody needs to ask you to do it. Like whatever you're passionate about, you will do. Yeah. Now I'm waiting for the day when, when somebody has to announce like, guys, this is, this is embarrassing now. Please stop giving us money. It's like, take some more, you know, throw, throw money at a handy. It's like, take some more. It's like, amazing. Okay? So this is the first tithe that was collected every year of whatever was born in your flock, whatever grew on your field, and that was brought to the house of the Lord, and that was to physically feed that tribe of Levi that did not have access to any of the other supply. Amen? Okay, so we are at 10% already, okay? The second tithe is the support for the poor. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 14, it says, At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, not the margin, but the guys from outside countries, that, the refugees, basically. Yeah? 
the orphan and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you shall do. Okay? So every third year, there was this thing called a storehouse, which is basically a modern day or old, what's it called? Not a food kitchen, a uh, food bank. Yeah? These days, when people live on, live on benefits, they, and they, there's a food bank in their town, they get my um, Ruth's mom. She, does, she runs an incredible food bank. And there's people every week that come in, and they provide for them. And that's exactly what that is. And God is saying, there's going to be a specific location. It's going to be a big house. Yeah? And every third year, this is not happening every year, once every three years, you're going to bring in 10% of what you have and leave it there that the Levites that don't have anything or the widows or the orphans or the alien that don't have access to it, they can come and you'll look after them. God is, Israel was so far beyond any of their um, other civilizations in terms of the way they socially looked after each other. This is there was protection for the poor, for the weak, for the orphans, for the widows, even for however bad it was with divorce and stuff. But there was protection for divorced women. And it was incredible. God was looking after everything. I love it. Okay. So this tithe was given every third year, 10%. So twice in seven years, because the seventh year, nobody produced anything. Yeah. This was, nobody was working on the fields. Nothing was done. So, yeah. So we are, actually, if you, if you divide 10 by 3, you get your 3.333, but let's just call it 3%, yeah? So if you want to do it annually, it'd be, first Levitical tithe is 10. The poor tithe is 3% or 10% every three years. Have I not lost it yet? Yeah, we're at 13%. So already saying, oh, we need to give 10% to church. You're already behind. Yeah? You better give 13. Gets better. So we know this, we know this um, verse in Malachi 3. Because that's that we love reading that when we talk about tithing. And this is what it says. Will a man rob God? Yeah, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Just like that. With that. In tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says Lord of hosts. Okay? Ooh, we love quoting that when it comes to tithing. Because it's right, it says, you're robbing God, you're not paying your tithe, you're under a curse. And that's what we kind of have been taught so far as well. You better pay up. And, and actually, we've kind of treated God like a mob boss. That you need to pay him protection money, otherwise he's going to send the boys around. I've heard one preacher say, you better tithe. Because God is going to get his 10%. If he's not getting it from you, he's collecting through medical bills. So basically, <laughs> yeah. 
is he's going to break your legs. <laughs> that's that's basically just this is not who God is. Okay. Now, now I've just explained to you what this is. Bring your tithe into the storehouse. This is not just some spiritual place that we, you know, just like, oh, we don't really know. Oh, it's the church now. No, 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 no. But this is how the church spiritualizes it. Bring, as an act of worship, the whole tithe, 10% of your income every week or every month, however frequently you get paid. Not just once a year, yeah? Into the storehouse, your local church, so that there may be food, spiritual food, in my house. And test me now on this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing, material and financial, until it overflows, and then I will rebuke the devourer, the devil, for you, so that you will not, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor your vine in the field will cast its grapes. That's how we've kind of taught it as well. You better pay God. Literally, it's protection money. So he will protect you from the devil. But if you don't, woohoo! Yeah? Don't, don't ask for prayer. Don't ask for all people. You know, I'm just like, you brought it on yourself. You're under a curse. It says right there, Malachi 3. But that's not what it says. The actual meaning is bring the whole tithe. Okay? How often was that brought? The tithe for the poor? Once every three years. Yeah? Bring that tithe. Once every three years. The food tithe. No money. I don't want your money. I just want your chickens. And I just want your barley and your bread. Into the storehouse. That local place that everybody knows to. I can go to when I'm hungry. It's not the temple. It has nothing to do with the Levites. It's not the church. It's a physical place. And test me now in this, says the Lord. <clears throat> if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. This is just this, I'll make it rain. You're going to have a harvest. There's going to be plenty of it. And I will rebuke the devourer for you. Everything that devours that crops, whether it's bly or some diseases, or it's like your crop, your field, your Chickens, they'll all live so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground nor the vine of the field cast its grapes. It's really a practical thing. It's like, guys, bring it in and I'll make sure there's going to be enough plenty of rain, sunshine, and there's no pestilence. Yeah, nothing that, yeah. Okay? Are we, are we there? So the Levitical tithe, doesn't apply to us. Well, let's just not go there yet. So we've got the Levitical tithe, 10%. We've got the tithe for the poor, the widows, and the aliens, which is 3%. So 10 and 3. And now this is the, the last one, the third tithe. And that's my favorite one. It's the party tithe. This is Deuteronomy 14. You shall surely tithe... All the produce from what you sow. Okay? Have you noticed that everything always is about what grows and what has been born? There's not once been a mention of, oh, by the way, you can bring some money. God's like, no. Not that money is evil, but this is not the first fruit. This is an actual, this chicken is born. This is my first chicken. This is my first calf. This is my first potato. This is it. It's not just any old potato. It's this one. 
You, Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 27. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. All right? This is basically, he's, he's telling them already before they know that it's going to be Jerusalem. That's why he's like, you don't know yet, but there will be a, there will be a place. It's going to be Jerusalem. And I want you guys to have a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year. And I want you to save up throughout the year for this thing, because this is important. Okay? Where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Right? Still, no money, nothing. Just bring your chickens. This is it now, though. If the distance is so great for you that you're not able to bring the tithe since the place where the Lord God you where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money, bind the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. All right? So basically, if that egg that the chicken laid is going to be a chicken by the time you reach Jerusalem, sell the egg and bring the money with you. That's what he's saying. Okay? But listen to this. You may spend the money on whatever your heart desires. For oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whiskey or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town for he has no portion or inheritance among you. God is saying, I will make sure that this nation has an annual holiday. This is honestly just for us. This is, oh, yeah, you know, everybody has their statutory rights. I've got two weeks. I've got four weeks. I've got six weeks holiday. There's no holidays back then. The fact that they had the Sabbath off is already mind-blowing. The fact that they had a year off. Every seven years, which is just a, this is outrageous. And now God is introducing an annual holiday where he's making you save up money. Ha! It's like this year, that tithe, you're going to eat it. And you're going to celebrate. And you're going to rejoice. And this is going to teach you to fear God. <laughs> it's his goodness that leads to repentance. Isn't that incredible? He's making people go on holiday. This is who God is. Ah. And that. Again, it was only the produce of the ground, the agricultural stuff. Now, this is the first time where money gets mentioned. And that's a really practical thing. Because God's like, I know that little lamb is not going to make it to Jerusalem. Yeah. So sell it and then buy yourself some whiskey and you'll just have a great time with your, this, can you imagine, just like, can you imagine saving up for a whole year, 10% and say, we're going to blow this this week, Vegas it is, this, incredible, and God's like, this is my dream for my nation, to celebrate, 
Okay. Back to money. Because all we have these days, you don't get paid in chickens anymore. Yeah? There's no trading. Hey, you know, I need some bread from Tesco, and Tesco is no problem. Bring me some eggs. I'll give you some bread. And you're like, oh, great, because I needed eggs. I'll give you some oranges. This is, no, we have money. So we think, oh, well, back then they had this, and today we've got money. Same thing. It's like, no, it's not. Back then they already had some money as well. And God had some very serious things to say about that. Listen to this. It's going to blow your mind. Leviticus 27. Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy. Okay? Don't mess with it. This chicken, this potato, this grape, not just any old grape that you... It's not just, oh, it's all in one big bunch, and I'll, I'll take 10% out. That'll do. That's when we go all the way back to... Um, to Cain and Abel. That's, that's exactly what happened there. You know, Cain gave, Abel gave the first fruit. This is, this, this, Mary had a little lamb, yeah? Abel had a little lamb. This is holy to the Lord. Cain just gave anything. It's, it wasn't the first fruit. It was just like something. It was, it's, this is, anyway. So it's holy to the Lord. Therefore, If a man wishes to redeem part of his tithe, he shall add one-fifth to it. What does that mean? It becomes 20% more expensive if you want to pay your tithe in money. You shall add one-fifth to it, okay? That means your tithe, that is 10% of your flock, actually is 12% in money. That's what God is saying. Okay, so if you want to tithe, because by the way, we have our 10% Levitical tithe, we've got our 10% party tithe, and we've got our 3% um, tithing for the poor, yeah? So we, we are at 23%, okay? And God is saying, by the way, if you want to give some money, it's going to cost you extra. Because this chicken is holy, believe it or not. Whether it makes sense to you or not, this is holy. If you want to redeem it, that's going to cost you an extra 20%. Yeah? So, what is that? 12, 24, 23, 28% we are. Yeah? It's almost 30% of your income that God says, if you want to give money, this is how much it's going to cost you. That's crazy. And here we are. Preaching in church, say, "Oh, you need to give ten percent from God," and then we say, "Yeah, before or after tax." You know, it's, like, it's, it's not that. Okay. Now, very last thought on this one. The tithe was never given; it was always paid. Big difference. The tithe was never an option. It was something that you literally owed to God. This is the tithe. And there is consequences if you don't pay the tithe. Jesus says to Peter, and we're going to go into this later on. Says, Peter, the children are free. You don't owe God anything anymore. Anything that needed to be paid, 
has been paid in full. So now everything that you do, do it with, with a cheerful heart. There's no, God is not requiring anything anymore. There's nothing. You don't need to pay him off. Amen? Okay? So this is what the old covenant does. And it's incredible. His, it's, God is collecting taxes. This is what the government does these days. He's collecting taxes for the NHS. Yeah? He's collecting taxes for, for, for all this. We're going to have a social program. We're going to make sure the widows, the orphans, the aliens, the Levites are going to be taken care of. We're going to make sure you go on holiday. Everybody's going to be happy. Every seventh year, everybody's going to rest. There's not going to be a burnout Honestly, this is incredible. We could probably still learn a lot from that these days. But it was never 10%. And it was never money. And if you wanted to give money, actually, yeah. That was a bad idea because it cost you a lot more. Because that, that it does something to... Honestly, this, this first fruit principle of looking at it is like, this is what God has given me. This is, this is it. And you eat it in the presence of the Lord. And you say, Dad, thank you. You are so good to me. Look at this barbecue that I put on because of the abundance of what you've given to me. And actually, I've got so much. Now the ones that don't have anything, they can come and join me. It says, don't forget the Levites and the poor and the alien. There's going to be so much. Just invite people out of the abundance and let them partake of the the blessing of God. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, we're celebrating God's goodness. Do you want to join the barbecue? This sausage, this is the firstborn of my pigs. Yeah, well, they didn't have pigs back then. They had lamb burgers. Yeah, but... This is it. Like, what is this? This is, this is the goodness of God physically. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's another beer. That's what it was. Now, I've been telling you why not to give. Okay? And, uh, and it needs to be that... that ex- yeah, exactly. It needs to be that extreme because... I'm going to encourage you to, at at the end of today, I'm going to encourage you to give more than you ever have. Not to me. Um, Even though, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no. Exactly. Oh, you know, didn't bring my hat today. I could just put my hat out. But you need to understand when God invites us to give, it is completely without any obligation. He's just made sure that this, you are, like Rebecca said on Sunday, it's freedom. It's not freedom to give. It's not freedom to forgive. It's not, he, did, he, didn't us, he didn't set us free to do something. He just set us free full stop. And out of that freedom, with that cheerfulness inside of us, that's when we get to do stuff. Okay? But let's, um, let's do the tithing thing first. The New Testament. Yeah. So Jesus in Matthew 23, 23 says to, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier portions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things you should have done 
without neglecting the others. Now you can go, oh, so Jesus says, actually, you should have done those and not neglecting that. So the Pharisees here, they're just like, you know, every piece of, of herb that you're just like, okay, here's a leaf, you know, basil. Uh, I'll give 10% to God and they're asking, I'm eating. And on, they did that, just everything down to the 10%. And he's like, really? But you've neglected justice and mercy. Like, that's you should have done and not neglected these. But he's speaking to people under the law of Moses, okay? This is, he's not speaking to believers. This is, this is not the new creation reality. This is guys under the law. You've forgotten what, what it's all about. It's always been about mercy. Um, this is, this is going to be great. Do you know the story of Jesus and the temple tax? Yeah, Jesus, where Peter goes fishing. Yeah, and there's money in the coin in the fish's mouth. This is it. When they came to Capernaum, this is Matthew 17, those who collected the two drachma texts, and we're going to explain what that is, came to Peter and says, does your teacher not pay the two drachma texts? Peter says, yes. And then later on, he's like, ah, oh, I better check with Jesus whether we actually do. I love this. Peter's like, of course we do. He's like, Jesus, uh, <clears throat> I told these guys we are. What are we going to do? Um, and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him saying, what do you think, Simon. From whom do kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, the sons are free. Okay? Like, who do you collect money from? Who do you have to... This is, this is not from the sons. This is from the strangers. Does the king ask taxes from his sons, from the princes? No. It's from the peasants. Yeah? From the strangers. They pay. The family doesn't. The children are free. However, this is, I love this. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel and that will give it and take that and give it to them for you and for me. Okay, so this is in, I'm not going to go through this in too much detail but in exodus 30 god's already putting a temple tax in place basically he's saying this thing is going to take upkeep yeah i'm going to make everybody pay annually toward that so that i don't know when the temple needs a new coat of gold yeah there's going to be enough money there to do all of that when they need to scrub the floors there's going to be enough money to buy the cleaning supplies all of this yeah it wasn't much it was half a shekel yeah just little and it was actually everyone who's numbered 20 years and over yeah so you're 19 you don't pay anything you're 20 that's when you start paying okay um and it's only from the guys and and that'll just this is it all right so this um half a shekel is that two drachma text and uh, he said you'll find one shekel in the fish's mouth, that's enough for you and for me, Peter. Yeah, half a shekel each, done. So this is it. There is this, there is this rule of a temple. Again, that Jesus says, this thing actually is only a picture of who I am. So I'm going to tear it down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. But 
And Jesus does the impossible. They're asking him, are you going to come underneath the law? And Jesus, he's the, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, yeah? He's not under the Sabbath. So he's like, I've come to fulfill the law, yeah? But, but this, is, this is not, I'm not coming underneath it. So, so he does it once more. I'm going to fulfill the law without compromising my freedom. I'm not going to pay out of my own pocket. I'm going to go fishing over there. And that is going to be looking after it. And it's just every single time he gets put in this, in this impossible situation. Shall we pay taxes, Jesus? And he's like, just bring me a coin. What picture do you see on it? Caesar's? Render to God what's God's? Render to Caesar what's Caesar's? Everybody's like, mind blown. That was option number three I didn't even know existed. It's amazing. You know, does it all the time. And it's this thing, Jesus, again, just, this, is, this is what it all boils down to. Jesus says, the children are free. Full stop. You do not owe God anything anymore. That tithe that had to be paid, it's all done. There's no more paying our high priest. He has paid for us. And then after that, the New Testament doesn't say anything about tithing ever again. Nothing. It says about giving. It's about collecting for the poor. But it's not about you need to do this. And it's not about a certain amount at all. Okay? So in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you do also on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collection be made for when I come. That sounds like it was an ongoing thing. It was until he came. It's like, guys, there's a famine in Jerusalem. And do you remember that storehouse where the poor, the hungry could go to? The Christians are not allowed in anymore. So our Christian brothers in Jerusalem don't have anything. Now you churches, you Gentile churches out there, I want you guys, because I'm, I'm on my mission trip right now, I'm going to come, and I want you to actually eat every week until I come, put some money aside, and when I come, I collect it all, and I bring it to Jerusalem. And then you don't have to collect anymore. Yeah, there wasn't a ongoing every week do something. It was just like there's a very... Does, does it make sense? We're going to Bulgaria this year as a church, sending people over there. You can save up money for Bulgaria until they go. Because that's until that point we need to save up. And then we can give it them, and then it's done. And then you can save up for someone else if you want to. But that's exactly what Paul was saying. He wasn't like, from now on, by the way, just put some money aside in case I should come. Whoop, whoop. Okay? So... That wasn't a 10%. That wasn't a something. It was just, I'm just making it really simple for you guys because I don't want you to, to be frazzled when I come. Be like, oh, Paul's here. I forgot to give some. Uh, so just make it really simple. Every week, just put some aside. And when I come, I'll collect it. What?
Yep. But Paul says, do this until I come. He says that I'm collecting for the saints in Jerusalem. So do this. We don't know how, how far this is advanced. Two months, three months, six months, I don't care. But it's like every week, collect something until I come. So that when I come, there's going to be a pot of money there and then I'll take it. Um, and again, it was for the poor in Jerusalem. It wasn't for the local church. There was nothing like, guys, I want you to put money into your pastor's pocket every week or something like this. Now, I am actually getting paid by exactly that. Okay? So I'm not saying it's not good or right to give to the church. But I'm saying you get to give. Nobody has to pay. None of this is, there's no obligation there. It's just complete freedom. Yeah? But, yeah. So there was always that prophetic aspect of tithing, which is exactly the same as the sacrifices. We're paying our debt to God. But actually, it's never enough because each year I need to do this again and again. Because actually the blood of bulls and goats cannot wipe away sin. Yeah? This whole I'm feeling indebted to God has always been throughout the old covenant. And then Jesus came and says, no more. The sons are free. That's when fireworks seem to go off. But no, bring it on. Okay? Okie dokie. Hmm. Under the new covenant, the Levites in the old covenant, they weren't allowed to work anything else but there. Under the new covenant, do whatever you want. Yeah? Paul was mending tents. Peter, he was going back fishing at times. It's just, it's, there's no obligation. I, I happen to be working full-time in ministry. So many people that just do a bit here, a bit there. And it's just, it is whatever actually works for that group of people as well. It's like, actually, I really value what you have. I want to give you so much money that you can take one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, however much out of your normal job to invest into this kind of job because I think this will, will benefit all of us. But it's not a, there's no rule. Does that make sense? So there's no obligation the church needs to have X amount of money, therefore everybody needs to give because we need to pay the pastor. No, no. Generosity is being taught all along. Yeah, Abundance is being taught all along. I love this. Actually, I need to read this. In, this is in 2 Corinthians. Now, if you ever listened to a um, money a, to a sermon on giving, and you thought, oh, that's a bit manipulative. You know, ooh. I've been to, there's one church that I, oh, I love. Honestly, they're great, 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 great people. And I will go back there anytime. This is, but they have at least 10 to 15 minutes of a mini sermon before the offering every single time. And every single time there's something inside of me that says, I'm not giving. If you are, just give me the bucket. I want to give some money. But, but if, you're, if you need to convince me, guilt trip me with some orphan pictures or with Malachi 3 or a bit of sowing and reaping kind of thing, 
I'm not giving. That, that was always my thing. Until God just says, you came in happy to give. Don't let them mess that up. I'm like, all right. So it doesn't matter what you are saying. That was something that I needed to decide within myself. You might try to manipulate everybody. I'm still choosing to give because I was a cheerful giver before I came in. It doesn't really matter what you say. That is what's in my heart. So just because, because you do something now that feels manipulative, I don't want to choose to push back. It's like, actually, I'm still responsible for my heart, my actions, my priorities. Cheerful giver. All right. I'm going to give some money. I would have given you money whether you would have put on mini sermon or not. Anyway. But there is Paul. I'm not going to read all of this. I think it is. Yeah, exactly. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Dude, he's, he's laying it on thick. He's just... He's a... Uh, He's really guilt-tripping them into it. He's like, guys, I've told everybody about your generosity. And the Corinthians are like, what, what, what? So, so I'm going to come with some people that I've told about that. Don't let me down. They're like, what? Yeah, so you better start collecting some money. What? <laughs> this is what Paul is saying. And by the way, without the Jews, you would have never Jesus. So you better, you owe him. That, it's not like that, but it's a bit along those lines. We're like, whoa, Paul, just stop. But he's, I love this. So however manipulative you think somebody is, Paul's just like, guys, it really boils down to that. Without the Jews, you wouldn't have a Christ. So if they need some money, give them some money. That's the very least you can do. <laughs> like, oh, I thought I was free. But now you're, you're kind of, you're bigging me up to somebody else. And he says, don't let me down. Like, I- I've never made that commitment. You know, there's Danny Silk. Be a powerful person. And he's like, that's not my issue, Paul. But Paul's like, don't let me down. <laughs> All right, I better start collecting some money then. I love this. Uh, it's great. And he does, he does all of this. This is um, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now I say, he, and I really do believe that he who sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. I don't believe God is, it's almost like God's not involved in this. <laughs> Obviously he is. Yeah. But a farmer cannot complain about not harvesting 10 acres if he's only sown two. Yeah? If I'm only looking after two, if I'm only investing in two acres, and then I turn around and say, oh, I only reap two acres. God's like, uh, wh- wh- why is that my problem? Yeah? It's like, this is not God saying, oh, you know, they give, I give. No, no, no. This is just, you invest in people. Have I talked to you about lending to your enemies already? Probably not. Oh, I love it. It's going to be great. It's going to be even better. It's going to be even more offensive. He's going to bring the Muslims into all of this. And that's going to blow our minds. Um, <laughs> at least that's the, very, that's the only thing. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And this is it. Listen to that. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves 
a cheerful giver. This is it. There's no mention of 10% or you should or you should or you should. Don't, don't should. Just whatever's in your heart. So there's going to be Sundays when the bucket comes around. You're like, ah, oh, this is great. Going to give. The next Sunday is like, I don't have a, you know, there's no guilt. There's no, in the past when I didn't give, I didn't want to give. I didn't feel I could give or whatever it is. I still felt so guilty that I pretended to give some money in the bucket. It's like, <laughs> why? Why? Because, yeah. Because there's just this weird obligation of I need to look a certain way. Or if I can only give some coins, let's drop in them really deep so, so they don't hear that it's just cash coins rather than... Why? Because we have this weird thing of I should. Rather than... What is it to you how much money I give? First of all, money is not a dirty thing. Can you imagine? Gee, this is it. Jesus at the temple. Do you know the story with the widow? Yeah? And the little that she gave, the widow's mite. Yeah? Where was Jesus sitting? By the money box. And he was looking how much everybody gave in. How politically incorrect is that? It's like, he, just, he, he literally just sits there. All these 12 guys around. And it's like, oh, you know, the rich people are plonk, 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 plonk. Look at that. Make it rain. And then, and then the little widow comes and is like, oh. Look at that, 10p. And he watches, he's not like, oh, I could, this, you know, this is your personal thing. Oh, uh, you know, money is such a weird thing these days. Like, oh, there's, there's a couple of things that we feel like we have no right of invading others, uh, other people's privacy. And that is your marriage. Yeah, oh, can't, can't talk to you about your marriage. Can't talk to you about how you raise your kids. And I can't talk to you about how you spend your time or your money. It's just, it's just off limits. And I'll, I'll pretend. I'm just going to look away. Yeah? This is it's what we do. When you give in church, are you checking how much your neighbor gives? Just, oh, no. You feel bad. It's like, wait, you, there would be a weird look that you would get. And there's Jesus. Like, what are you doing today? Oh, just checking how much people give. <laughs> just, all right. He has no problem with that at all. When you live in the light. Because it's not about, oh, I've given much or I've given little. How much was in my heart today? A cheerful giver. Don't give under compulsion. And God is able, this is, to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything that you may have an abundance for every good deed. And basically, everything in, in, in the New Covenant is about, is about oh, equality, social equality as well. It's like, don't give when you don't have. Really don't. Give of your abundance. Don't give. Paul actually says, don't give so you're going to be end up lacking that's not what it's about you can give of your abundance sometimes you can give you of your own bread that's incredible but but this whole thing of like take out your credit card you know call the number that's on now just scrolling beneath on the screen just like don't don't do that don't go into debt 
But when you have a lot, just give a lot. Um, there is a curse for everybody that lives under the law and doesn't fulfill the whole law. I hope by now you guys have heard that, okay? So I, when I, this was about eight, nine years ago that this was something in my life. I needed to repent from tithing. Because like, I always thought, oh, this is a great thing. You know, I'm, I'm the only one. All my friends are like, ah, oh, no, not tithing. Sometimes a little bit. It's like, I'm tithing everything. It's just like I'm tithing before I pay taxes. You know, it's just like I'm the good kind of Christian. And I need to repent. Because actually, I put myself under, the, under a law. And I, I love this. Like God's not sitting there like, oh, Timo, you're the worst kind of Christian ever. No, it's like, he still loves the heart behind it. But I just, I was like, Dad, I'm really sorry where I was trying to fulfill the law and you're not requiring me to anymore. So here is all my obligation. It's all yours. I would love to receive your generous heart instead. And out of that place, I want to start living. So. And, and honestly, ever since then, my giving has gone up and up and up and and uh, sorry, because I heard some other people as well saying, "Oh, the only people that preach against tithing are the ones that don't want to give." I'm like, ah, quite the opposite. Tithing has liberated me and made me so much more generous. Because I'm not living under this. It's not a pie anymore where he gets ten percent and I get to spend the ninety percent. It's all his. Back to stewardship. It's all his. If he says, "Give it away," give it away. Says today, Timo, you get to keep it. Hey, Joseph, <clears throat> you got to keep it all. Like if the bucket comes and there's, you know, and I've just heard stories of people dying of hunger. But he says, you don't need to give today. Oh, liberation, really liberation. It's just like I can just pass the bucket on. I don't need to pretend to put money. Nothing. Just like not me today. It's great. Yeah. And then there's other days where I just give. Um, now, really practically, I have, not just I, when I talk about I, it's always Ruth and me. And I think I told you about that. Like, we always ask God, should we give something? And, uh, and then we go with a higher number. Just because it's, it's this thing of generosity. It's this thing of, I just want to, I want to be extreme. Because my dad's extreme like that. He's, he's not, he's overpaid. So, why am I being stingy with money? It always comes, whenever I'm stingy, it's out of a fear of lack. There won't be enough for me. He won't provide. Um, I've actually set up a direct debit monthly to give to Kingsway. So this is not like, oh, Timo, you're talking about not giving anymore, not having to. Nobody made me. There's no obligation there. This is a free choice that I'm making. But I love living in this amazing building. I love being able to switch on the lights and there's electricity and there's internet. And I know that all of this costs money and I love contributing to that, okay? So I want to encourage you, just be actually more generous than ever. Ask God, there's a couple of things that I'm doing that I want to encourage you guys to do as well. If you are part of a local family, just be very realistic about what, what does it cost. Don't feel obligated, don't. But, 
We eat cookies every day. We drink coffee every day. You know, that kind of stuff doesn't appear out of nowhere. It costs money. And I'm happy to invest in that because I enjoy it. Does that make sense? So if you're part of a congregation, and, and I, would just, I would encourage you, just, that's part of the ownership. That's, you know, we want to help out on different rotors and welcome teams, set up, take down on a Sunday. It's like paying for the electricity bill. It's just part of worship as well. And that's a priority to me. It has nothing to do with tithing, no 10%, no nothing. It's just, Dad, how much would you like me to just give monthly? And that's what we're doing. Then, then we have set up another thing. And uh, that's our own. Uh, we just said we want to have money that when there is an extra offering or that, you know, somebody's going to do a missions trip or to do this or somebody just needs their groceries being paid. This Somebody actually gave us money this week. It's like, I want, I want to pay the help toward your Tesco shop. Like, this is incredible. Like, I love receiving money as well. You know, it's like, I like that just as much, sometimes even more. Um, but we put money aside every week, every month, just for nothing except that there is money there in case somebody needs it. Because so often, too often, I see people saying, ah, sorry, I don't have anything, which absolutely fine. But it just lacks the intentionality because, oh, you're saving up for your holidays. Oh, yeah, no problem. Oh, you're saving up for this. Oh, there's, oh, sorry, there's nothing left. And it's like, no, I want to be intentional. You know, there's a couple of things that, do you remember the, the Council of Jerusalem where they actually set the blueprints for the churches? This is what the Gentile churches, not the Jewish churches. The Jewish churches, let them live in their traditions if they want to. But we're not going to make the Gentile churches live under the law. But there's a couple of things that we want you to remember. And one of those is the poor. So I want to be intentional about having money for the poor. Has nothing to do with my tithe. This is not going to Kingsway, yeah? But if Kingsway is saying, we are, we're going to, I don't know, do something, going to support something there. So I'm like, I want to give. And I've actually got money there because I'm intentional about it. And then, oh, I wish I could give but to spend all my money on new clothes and burgers yeah so but it's it's my choice it's not an obligation that oh if you're a good christian then you do this and if and you're just you're just too selfish so you you know that's why you've got all the nice clothes and look at tino's the way no 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 like whatever how however each one of you purposed in their hearts and it's this i've i talked to a pastor once about lifting that obligation of tithing of this congregation. His first thing was like, yeah, but nobody's going to give anymore. Because I ultimately don't believe in the new creation side of you. I don't believe that you have the heart of your dad. I believe that you're still a selfish sinner. That if I don't make you either behave well, or I don't make you give money, you choose not to. But it's all part of the new covenant. We are a new creation. If, if it is freedom, if we're taking the reins off, let love restrain you. Let love restrain you. Nothing else. But out of that place, oh, you got the heart of your dad. He carries DNA. He's the most generous person in the universe. This is who you are. You're not selfish. 
You're extremely selfless. You get to bless, but you get to walk in abundance as well. Paul says, I've learned to be content in everything. In abundance, if I get invited and get put into a five-star hotel, caviar and, and massages and saunas, bring it on, baby. Yeah? If, if they forget to feed me and I'm living on somebody's couch and I'm hungry, that's okay. You know, the church doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe me anything. It's just I'm happy. I'm content. It's, it's that. So the same with, with us giving. God's taken every, every obligation off. You don't need to anymore. But he's given you a new heart. He's given you a heart that gets moved with what moves him, his compassion. So just honestly, I'm, I'm telling you, because this is what happened to me. I was so self-righteous with giving my 10% that it was easy for me to silence the voice of God in my heart toward other things that he wanted me to invest in because I did my duty. I paid my 10%. Now conscience, shut up. Yeah, this is, this is what it was. And he's taking it all off and says, Timo, you get to keep it all. But I'm just like, he listened to his voice and he's like, oh, that family over there. This is what real worship is. Do you want to pay them? They're, they're, you know, just, I, honestly, if, if you are that intentional, you get to intentionally go to Tesco with 100 pounds extra and just see if you can pay somebody's. Just wait there at the till and just be like, can I pay you? Can I pay your shopping? Just that intentionality. It's, it's, it's that. Oh, I love it. Can I give money toward this, toward that? Um, yeah. The children are Ah, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you really have taken any obligation off us. Any law, anything that, any compulsion, you've set us completely free. And once again, if there was still something inside of us that tried to live up to some weird standard of the law, we just want to repent, turn around, say, I'm sorry for trying to live up to something that you're not requiring us to do. But I thank you that you have set us free, free from any obligation. And in that freedom, living in your abundance, we get to be so generous in everything that we do. That I thank you that it's impossible to outgive you. So as we learn to walk in your generosity. As we learn to walk in that, that being a cheerful giver, whatever that means and whatever that looks like each week. Thank you that you're teaching us. Thank you that you're providing. It says he provides seed for the sower and bread to eat. You provide for everything that we need. You're so good. And we don't need to worry about lack. There's always going to be enough. So once again, I pronounce freedom over us. Complete freedom. And still anything that sits deep that says, yeah, but, yeah, but. Silence those thoughts that try to 
raise themselves up above the knowledge of Jesus. Jesus, you have set us free and we get to live as free children. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.